This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Cheney Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you need. Jessica here. This week, I talked to former collegiate athlete, now turned pro, Brittany Collins, who is fighting the NCAA. Before we get into it, I do want to point out that towards the end of this interview, you will hear her mention that her former university, the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, has, so far, put up $100,000 into going up against the NCAA. Please keep that in mind as you hear more about what got UMass in trouble in the first place. And now I'll let this week's guest introduce herself. Well, my name is Brittany Collins, and currently I am a professional tennis player from Boston, um, but I was on the UMass uh, tennis team, graduated in 2017. Okay, 2017. So you've been a professional tennis player then for three years. Yeah, just about. I, I started a little bit after I graduated, took some time to train and stuff. Let's talk about that 2017 season. It was a big one. How did that season end? Yeah, it was uh, the way we describe it is fairy tale ending um, for the seniors, for the entire team. We won the A10 title conference championship um, for the second time in school history. I think it was like 20 years between the, the first one and the one we had won. And it was our coach, Judy Dixon's um, final year of retirement after being with the school for 25 years. Wow. I read it came down to like the final point of the final match. Is that true? Yeah. So it was a crazy ending because we were losing. Um, we were like on set to lose to the same team that we, you know, had lost to before. And it was like a slow comeback, um, like one person at a time. And then um, we took the lead and had that match lost. It would have gone to a tie and then like a sudden death kind of thing. And thank God my uh, my best friend Anna Woosley came in strong and clinched it for us. Wow. That's amazing. What a team effort it sounds like. Yeah, individual sport, but you need every single person, you know, to be on the game and, and we kind of come together. And so it's nice. Yeah, that's really cool about collegiate tennis. I'm a huge tennis fan, but of course, I'm the kind of fan who's watching the pros at Grand Slams. And like you said, it's very individualized. So the idea of this collective team uh, is such a fun part of how college tennis works. Absolutely. So let's talk about the big thing that's happened recently. So your school accidentally gave you and another teammate a bit too much money when they were doling out scholarships in 2015, 2016. Can you explain exactly what happened and how much money we're actually talking about here? 
So um, it was like kind of a little bit misleading when the headlines had come out because most of the headlines said like UMass received $9,100 in like impermissible benefits. But that was over the course of three years between 12 student athletes. So when we talk specifically about the tennis team, it was um, my best friend and I, we by accidentally received each $252 for what they call a telecom fee one time in 2015-16. The telecom fee is a stipend for on-campus student athletes to basically be reimbursed for a phone jack, like a landline. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and so basically we were not entitled to this because we moved off campus that 2015-16 year. Um, So the issue is we were deemed ineligible from that point forward because we received the stipend we were not entitled to. So I think it's $504 total for the tennis team. Wow. Okay. So we're talking like a little bit of money. I mean, in the scheme of college athletics, <laughs> not a lot. Not a lot. Yeah, not a lot. <laughs> so the NCAA, which is a governing body of collegiate sports in the U.S., how did the NCAA find out about this? Yeah, this is the part that hurts. So UMass self-reported it as they were self-auditing themselves And once they find this small error, they went to the NCAA because there is like kind of an initiative that they provide saying, if you come forward, self-report, we can kind of keep it internal. Like it doesn't, you know, have to blow up depending on like what happens. Right. And so at first they they came to an agreement. They said, thank you for self-reporting. UMass did a self-imposed $5,000 fine and probation, I think for two years. And the NCAA first was like, great. Thank you so much for coming forward. Agreement. And then I guess later the Committee on Infractions came back and said, well, no, 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 these students were ineligible. So we're going to vacate all the seasons that they had participated in from that point that they were paid, including our A-10 title. Um, So that's the part that kind of hurts is that it doesn't really incentivize anyone to ever self-report again because it was such a minor, you know, clerical error. And they doled out like the harshest punishment that they don't even give out to you know, major offenses done over and over again in the NCAA, like currently right now. If you look at Arizona, Kansas, they're not, you know, stripping titles away. So tough. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like we could name lots of schools where we feel yeah. um, questionable about how the NCAA has responded to all kinds of reports. Absolutely. Can you take me back to the moment when you first heard not only that the NCAA was punishing the team, but that it was revoking your Atlantic 10 championship from 2017. How did, how did you find out and how did you feel? Yeah, (laughs) I thought it was a joke, um, which is so sad. I got a text message from one of my coaches um, with the headline. Like I said, this $9,100 UMass is in trouble with the NCAA. And I didn't even open the article. I just texted back like, haha, funny guys. And then they texted again. They're like, wait, you were on the tennis team during those years. And I was like, wait, what tennis? Like, you know, it's impossible. Tennis never gets in the news at all, let alone for doing things wrong. So, um, I realized it wasn't funny and then became kind of like first emotional. And like, I didn't understand to pretty angry um, because like I've said all the you know the injustice here and kind of just got right to work with my teammates spread the news say hey obviously you know this isn't fair let's do something about it and speak out so there was a wide range of emotions from what I had found out and I had no idea right like none of us had any idea that this wasn't even an investigation we found out like two weeks ago Um, so it came as shocking news for sure. How did you figure out that it was your scholarship that was the actual important thing for the NCAA? 
Yeah, so when I started reading the headline um, and going through the news and trying to decipher, like, you know, it was a little bit confusing. But when they said two student athletes on the tennis team who had moved off campus, um, I realized that at that time it was only my best friend and I. So there was no one left but other than ourselves. So I got on the phone right away, called um, our current hood coach at the time, Judy Dixon, and started to sync up with our athletic director and say, like, what's kind of going on? And that's how I found out by like kind of just like reading it in the headline. Wow. That's so strange on some level. But you had to like <laughs> detective your way into figuring out that like you had something to do with this. So you've started a petition. Tell us about that, how you decided to do that. Who's it directed at? And what do you hope to accomplish with it? Yeah, 100%. So we don't play necessarily a role in the appeal and the legal part that is kind of UMass's thing but I that night I wrote to Ryan Bamford our athletic director and said hey this is what I want to put out I want to put out a petition that lets student athletes voices be heard to the NCAA and the NCAA it goes directly to the NCAA um, change.org kind of tags them in it and then Hopefully, towards closer to the PL, we can bring them an actual list of names that say, you know, we don't agree with you. And when we had started it, I think it was initially to just, like, get the results overturned, right? So that we could, you know, do something on our behalf of UMass Tennis. However, it's kind of grown into this thing of, like, student athletes needing protection from the NCAA because this is a clear you know, example of how they don't protect their student athletes. They labeled us as, as cheaters, essentially, by putting blame on us. And so we found that a lot of people are signing it not just to defend us, but to call for reform within the NCAA. Um, and I think, you know, one of our biggest accomplishments is to have Senator Chris Murphy, you know, retweet it out and, you know, offer support. And I'm speaking to his team now about how we can actually bring this to you know, legislation in Congress and how we can use stories like this to hopefully better protect student athletes in the future so that this doesn't happen again. It seems strange to me that as the athlete involved in this, that the NCAA, like, have you spoken to anyone there? Have they reached out to you? Like, are you just totally separate from the process despite being one of the people who quote unquote cheated? Yeah, so no one's reached out to me. Um, I'm kind of hoping as this grows with like huge support from people like Dick Vitale and Brad Gilbert and so on, like many well-named um, known people out there. And so no one's reached out to me so far, but I've been trying myself to kind of get into the NCAA. Um, for instance, I'm speaking with a representative from SAC, which is Student Athlete Advisory Committee. And it's important to note not just the ones that are on campus, but there is a higher up SAC um, for D1, D2, and D3. And they are, according to the NCAA, they represent the student athlete voice and they, you know, make suggestions for legislation. And essentially they're saying that they hold the NCAA accountable for protecting student athletes. So I said, well, who better to start with than the people who are supposed to be protecting us? And with the, you know, general consensus that everyone's on our side on this one, we haven't met a lot of opposition. I thought, I'll speak to them. And so I've started dialogue with some members on this committee um, to see where they're at and how they feel about our situation. And if they actually do kind of possess the power to go up to the NCAA and say, this isn't right. And um, if they don't, how do we, you know, get a committee to have that kind of power where the NCAA does have to face someone 
And that's kind of why I'm trying to work with, you know, senators and representatives to see if from that angle we can get something done. Do you know what UMass is doing in response to this? Are they going through just the regular NCAA appeal process at this point? What is the school actually doing in response? Yeah, um, a special shout out to Ryan Bamford, our athletic director. He has been fighting this hard. Um, They have started the appeal process. It takes a couple months. And um, it's sad to say, but also, you know, they didn't need to spend any money defending us. But this kind of shows what kind of program UMass is. They've spent over $100,000 in, you know, lawyers and fighting this, which for $504 just for, you know, or a total of $9,100. And all of a sudden we're out $100,000 for a state school that really doesn't bring in a lot of money anyways. So the appeal process kind of goes for the next couple months and um, who knows if it's going to be overturned, but I think it just shows a lot of character for that side of thing, the legal, you know, on UMass's behalf that that's what their student athletes mean to them. And we'll just, I guess, wait to hear. But for our job, like, it's just so important to be getting signatures on this petition, spreading the word that we have this petition on change.org so that we can actually bring to the NCAA for the first time, like something that has names to it and lots of names and say like, you know, we all agree that this is wrong, not just for the tennis team, but student athletes as a whole. So that's what we're doing on our end while UMass kind of does like the legal stuff for us. Indeed. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Cue Maracas. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs which are thrown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Okay, ready? Have I told you guys about my Uncle Quentin? Yeah, I know about him. You know about Uncle Quentin? My Uncle Quentin calls me so early on the weekends to help place his bets. And for, I don't know how to explain to him. Like, Uncle Quinn, I, first of all, don't bet. Second of all, it is 7 a.m. my time, so you are getting up <laughs> at 6 in the morning for advice that I cannot really give you <laughs> because I don't bet on anything. Like, not even if you were like, hey, Mira, I bet you that it's going to rain today for a lollipop. Like, nope, I don't like that stress in my life. It's too stressful. <laughs> but now, you know, I just came back from Mississippi, so I got to see Uncle Quentin, and, of course, he was trying to ask me what to wager on this, that, and the other. 
And I was so happy that finally I could give him some actual good information because I was like, Uncle Quentin, I got something for you. Bet online is your place. It's absolutely your place to go. It has game spreads and totals and players and teams and coaching props. You can literally wager on anything. They have more opportunities to wager than almost anything else. And they have all these sign-up bonuses. I was like, go over there. Please take advantage of all of this. Leave me the hell alone. And now, if you, like my Uncle Quentin, want to go to bet online and take any wagers of anything like that, please use the code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's Blue Wire, all one word, because they are your online sportsbook experts and not your favorite niece in the middle of Pennsylvania who cannot be bothered to help you with your wagers. So go to bet online, Uncle Quentin, and everybody else, your online sportsbook experts. That was really professional. Yeah, that was so good, Amira. We might need Vuvuzelas for mine, because that was really good. Indeed. When you were actually at UMass and a student, how would you describe your thoughts about the NCAA? What was your relationship to it? Is it just kind of this thing that exists out there that you... You know there are rules, but you're not really thinking about it all the time. Like, what was your relationship as an actual student-athlete? Yeah, like, kind of exactly what you just said. Like, I don't really, there's no face to it, right? For Especially for the smaller teams, women's sports that don't get a lot of recognition. Like, I was just appreciative for the fact that I was able to, you know, play on a full scholarship and have this opportunity after as many of us are, you know, um, you know, after training your whole life leading up to that point. So I definitely and still am appreciative of the NCAA for that regard. Like the goal, I think, is a good idea. I just think it's mismanaged and um, there needs to be, like I said, some sort of reform so that the goal comes back to the student athletes and not, you know, I know that they have to make money, but I think that's kind of how it's run right now. And instead, I think the priorities need to be back to uh, collegiate athletes and and the ones they're supposed to protect. Have you, I guess, how do you feel about the NCAA now? Like, what has this been like in the last month or so when you think about this organization? Yeah, I won't lie. I'm I'm angry Um, as I'm kind of educating myself more on stories similar to ours. I, I become a little bit more. I'm angrier each time, I'll say. Like, I definitely Mm -hmm. think there's a lot wrong. Um, And I I will never not be appreciative for the opportunity that I was given. But I don't think, you know, just because we're told to be, you know, appreciative, that that doesn't mean we can't speak up and say what's wrong. So um, I'm not, like, the biggest fan right now. I hope that there is a chance that they can demonstrate, um, starting with our petition, that they do care about student-athletes. I'm not entirely sure that they will overturn it, but I think that could be a great step towards, you know, mending the relationship, but we'll see. When you talk about reform within CAA, what specifics are you talking about? Like, how do you think this situation should have gone differently? What could change so that this isn't going to happen in the future? Yeah, I think there's like a lot of things, you know, this, our story touches on a lot of different areas, right? Like amateurism, being overpaid, um, small women's sports teams, all these things. And um, I'm trying to educate myself now on like how, you know, like you said, how does reform start? Like, what does it look like? I think the first thing needs to come back to this initiative to self-report. 
Um, if you're going to self-report, I don't think, like, it just doesn't make sense, right, to come to an agreement and then to all of a sudden the agreement's off the table because somebody else swept in. So I think the initiative to self-report needs to be dealt with differently. And I think it comes down to the NCAA needs somebody to govern them. Like, there needs to be somebody that they have to face to so they can't just do whatever they want, you know, follow the rules here but not there. And um, I think that the only way to do that is working with our government and having them step in. Redistributing the money, I'm not sure. Like, when it comes to paying athletes, a tennis player, I don't bring in money. I know that. And I just take money. And so I'm not sure I'm entitled to be paid. Whereas... I do know that I don't think the NCAA should be making millions off of players who do have an image out there that there are fans. I think the money can be redistributed in ways that can go back to mental health for student athletes and different things like that, where it kind of takes some of the, the power with all the money up in the NCAA and kind of redistributes in a way that benefits the student athletes. It's interesting to hear you say all this, because what I'm hearing is that they need to center the students which is so wild on some level because that is right. the message the NCAA is telling us all the time, that they exist in order to help the student athlete, which yeah. is its own. That phrase alone is its own baggage with it, right? But, and then you telling me as a former athlete who's now dealing with this institution that like the reform needs to be to put the student at the center just feels, there's a lot of change that has to happen. <laughs> uh, a lot. I agree. Yeah. 100%. I mean, yeah, I just think that, like you said, like the message they put out, that sounds great, but it's clearly not what they're doing, right? And there's so many examples to showcase that and a lot needs to change so that their supposed goal of come play for us from all over the world and we'll give you an experience and set you up for success, like that's what needs to happen. Um, and unfortunately, we're just not there right now. We'll definitely be posting the petition in the show notes for the show so on our website but also on our social media when we put this interview out there so if you're listening and you care about this issue please go search out the petition and and sign it um will you tell me a little bit before we go this has been great and thank you so much for your time you are a professional tennis player what is your day-to-day life like Tell me where you are. Like, are you on the tour? Like, how does it work for you at this point? Yeah, 100%. So I am on the tour. I'm more on the opposite spectrum of the Grand Slams that you will watch. Mm -hmm. I have played some players that you might know. Like, about a year ago, I was practicing with Iga Sviatek, who just won the French Open. Oh, yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, like, there is definitely some crossing in between kind of where I'm at, climbing the ranks and you know, the top of the top. But my day-to-day, I'm in Austin right now playing um, essentially a professional tournament without points. It's a, It was a professional tournament last year, but with COVID, it's, it's really hard. So my day-to-day kind of, besides doing this for the, the petition, revolves around, um, you know, getting up, eating, training, probably, you know, on a light day, two, two and a half hours to go heavier day, four hours, getting a gym session in, Tonight, I'll speak with my um, mental coach who we kind of go over like the mental part of the game. And yeah, like basically everything for me revolves around, you know, tennis and how to better myself on the court, whether it's in the gym or actually being on the court hitting. And so um, I've been doing that since a little bit after I graduated and, and hope to keep climbing the ranks and hopefully when COVID gets better, can play more tournaments. How much are you traveling? 
because I just think of tennis as like an incredibly international sport and that people are basically ending one tournament and getting on a plane and flying somewhere else. Is that true? Or I made that up in my head? No, you're 100% right. Um, Right now is a little calm because of COVID and stuff and the restrictions, especially being an American. It's really hard to even go to Europe or any of that kind of thing if you're not inside the top, you know, 100 right now. But um, I'll say when I was traveling, like, for instance, I started my week in Romania And I think that was on Sunday. And then by the time it was Wednesday, I was like trying to make a plane to go to the Netherlands. And by the time Sunday had come around again, I was on my way to Portugal um, and taking trains and buses. So you're definitely right, um, depending on, you know, whether you're doing well or, or you lose first round. It's it's like really just hopping on planes, buses and trains like all across the world all the time, which I'm so thankful for because it's just an amazing experience you meet so many people um, and you learn so much I think it's actually probably the best educational experience I've ever had Hmm. it sounds like the amazing race which I'm bringing up because my family (laughs) is watching all seasons right now um where has been your favorite place that you visited oh that is like the toughest question that everyone um asks me I'll give you like two different answers because I think it's important so as far as like where I fell in love like Australia I got to go all over Australia right after the Australian Open and play like their exit tournaments um, which was amazing I love the culture and it's beautiful and so many different kinds of you know climates and environments over there but I would say I also love I've been to Tunisia and Egypt a bunch of times and I've loved it for such a different reason And that goes back to the education, like just learning about culture. And I think it's just because it's taught me to be so appreciative for what we have, you know, over in America, especially in a time where probably a lot of people aren't appreciative for what we have. And uh, yeah, it was beautiful there. And I just loved learning about something that we don't normally get to like hear about, you know. Um, So I I definitely love Tunisia and Egypt. I have such wanderlust right now all I want to do is talk about all the places that I might be able to go one day so that sounds great well good luck here in Austin and good luck with the petition thank you. and thank you so much for being on Burn It All Down Brittany no thank you so much we really really appreciate it it means the world to us